All right. Uh, so, uh, really, all that we're looking at here, we're looking at the end of the Gospel of John, and the main part of it is the. Um, it's so weird not hearing the sound of that thing running. See how quiet it is? Because you usually have the ambient noise of that the thing running. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Messes with your brain. Okay. No, it's fine. <laughs> Everything's an experiment, isn't it? All right, so the main things that we're going to be reading are uh, the post-resurrection accounts in John's Gospel, right? So here at the end of John's Gospel. So we'll look at these two chapters, um, you know, make a little bit of comparison with the synoptic Gospel records of them. Um, But John is so clear about why he wants us to know the things that he's written. And he's also clear about the fact that there could have been tons of other things that that could have been written. Uh, which I think is one of the things that people forget about the Bible. They think that it's a complete record of everything. And so they're like, well, why doesn't it say this? Or why doesn't it do the other? Well, um, it isn't what uh, what God intended for it to do in, um, in certain things. So certainly we'll talk more about that other times. But let's read through the two chapters here. And then we'll pray and we'll jump in to life after death resurrection from the dead right so all right now the first day of the week uh, mary magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb then she ran and came to simon peter and to the other disciple whom jesus loved and said to them they have taken away the lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, then uh, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know that they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. Good good old skeptic. <laughs> and after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples uh, came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they came, had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which, fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153, <laughs> and they counted. <laughs> and, and although there were so many, the net, was not, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I, I, I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, Son of Jonah, do you, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Uh, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple wouldn't die. Yet Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? (laughs) This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself couldn't contain the books that would be written. Amen. Love that ending. Love that ending there that John John gives. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump back into the beginning here of chapter twenty. Um, <clears throat> Father, it's it's you that we need, and we need you always. What a joy it is to know that uh, that you have given yourself to us in a peculiar way. We know that all the world uh, in you lives and moves and has its being. but you have contracted yourself to us as your children in a very particular way. And you have invited us in and called us children. You've asked us to speak to you, to know you as as Father. Lord, I pray that as we look at this uh, last little section of John's Gospel, that we would be um, confronted with uh, the reality of Jesus' resurrection, of how central it is um, to the faith of Christians from age to age. I pray that we would be impressed with... um, with the weight of it. And also confident that if you are able to raise the dead, then um, truly there is nothing that's hard for you. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would lead, that you would teach us by your spirit, Lord, right where each of us, right where each of us is this morning. we need you. Be honored with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All I hear is my, my little guy's foot stomps everywhere. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> that's, that's life right now. He's, he's uh, just busy all the time. <laughs> he's... Uh, <laughs> Every day is spring break because he, he's he's homeschooled. So <laughs> homeschool life. <laughs> oh, we're.
are always learning. <laughs> All right, uh, let's let's jump back to uh, chapter twenty, verse one. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. A couple of things, really quickly, with the first line there. I want to make sure we're clear on first day of the week is Sunday. The reason why the early church met regularly on Sunday, and they called it the Lord's Day, is because it's the day of the resurrection. Now, along the line, years later, we conflated the Lord's Day with Shabbat, with the Hebrew Sabbath, right? And then we extrapolated from that religious traditions and regulations that said, in some contexts, in in some of the the groups that I knew uh, growing up, they would say, you can't even go out and mow your lawn on Sunday, bro, because that's the Sabbath day, and that is not keeping the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. It's not remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, you know. And, And my goodness, for anybody that had a job where you were called into work on Sunday, woo, you'd be, man, that's a bad deal, right? Unfortunately, we've used those traditions uh, in ways that have um, hurt people unnecessarily, obviously, as, as many of the traditions did, even the ones Jesus confronted related to Shabbat and other things. Um, but uh, first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, um, sometimes people get upset about the three days and three nights thing. Uh, it seems to me it's a euphemism, uh, a, a um, uh, sorry, not a euphemism, a colloquialism, um, <laughs> wrong, wrong-ism a colloquialism uh, that Jesus used as he was talking about the one sign that they would receive. He said, just as Jonah was in the uh, belly of the whale or the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man would be uh, in the earth for uh, three days and three nights, um, which is a, a very um, a very common way to just say for three days, essentially. right? So sometimes people get super literal about that and they were like well then it has to be three nights and three days exactly it seems to me that it's probably just a colloquialism to say a day the same way that we say the sun rises the sun doesn't rise we just rotate right but but we say the sun rises and we say we watch the sun rise but it's just a normal thing that we say anyhow some people get really upset about that uh, i used to get upset about some of that stuff when i was younger i'm just not bothered by it so much anymore i'm okay with it um uh, so Jesus was likely crucified on Friday in in the tomb uh, there on Friday. So that'd be the first day. And then I remember they wanted to make sure that he was down off the cross because the next day was Shabbat. And it was a high Shabbat because it was Passover and it started the, the unleavened bread festival and Passover festival. So they wanted to make sure that all of them were off the crosses. So the first day he was in the tomb was Friday, Saturday, Shabbat, he's in the tomb. And then early Sunday is uh, when the resurrection occurred. Keep in mind that the Jews begin the day uh, at sundown, right? So Sunday started what you and I think of as Saturday around 6 o'clock, whenever sun goes down on Saturday. That's when the Jews uh, reckon the next day begins. So because of the way Genesis is written, the evening and the morning were the first day, evening and the morning were the second day, evening and the morning were the third day. Because of that usage in the book of Genesis, the Jews have always viewed the day as beginning at sundown and then ending at at sundown, the next day begins. Right, so, um, anyways, so, um, when it says that she went to the tomb early, I mean, could have been midnight. (laughs) That's that's early on Sunday, uh, in a Hebrew way of viewing time, of viewing days, right? So, it was sometime early, and it says very specifically that it was still dark. 
the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Uh, we don't find any more of that part of the story in John's gospel. And I think that the way John writes this, it seems like John is particularly avoiding repeating things that probably when John's writing this probably had already been written by Mark and maybe by Matthew and Luke. It seems like John's avoiding some of that, uh, some of that stuff that had already been uh, repeated numerous times about how there was an earthquake, about how the uh, angels came and rolled the stone away, that sort of thing. So he just simply says that when Mary got there, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Um, she goes immediately when she sees that the... Um, the stone is taken away. Uh, she goes to find Peter. She goes to find John, the ones writing this, the other disciple whom Jesus loved, as he refers to himself several times in the text here. And she immediately says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out, verse 3 says. Peter therefore went out um, and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Uh, I love the way this is written because John seems is writing this and he's like, we both left and the other disciple, me, John, I outran Peter, you know, um, uh, the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first and, and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself. Um, I don't want to go into, into it too much. This seems weird the way this is written, comparing it to something like the Shroud of Turin, that sort of thing. You can look into that a lot more if you're interested in it. Um, but it just seems very different the way this is written, the description that John gives here, and that particular artifact that had been left in a church for many, many, many years. But uh, Regardless, uh, Simon Peter came, as we read in verse 6, following him, following John, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And there's been some things written about that stuff. Uh, but, but one of the things I want to keep in mind, I want to remind you of, because I keep seeing it mostly on the interwebs, which is like the worst place to see everything, isn't it? But um, The internet, but sometimes there are stories that are repeated over and over and over again and taken as if they're true. Uh, but, but th sometimes there's just no evidence for them. Um, uh, and, uh, and no real reason to embrace some of those things. Uh, some have told this kind of fanciful story about what this means that the, the handkerchief was separate from the other claws and stuff like that. You may have read that, uh, in the past, but, uh, uh it's just something that is outside of the bounds of the scripture outside of the, the information that we have in the text, okay? So what we do have is a very simple description that seems to have been written by an eyewitness just saying, this is what I saw. And the weird thing is, for some reason, we want to make it something different than that. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, it seems totally fine and reasonable to me that this is somebody saying, I want you to understand that this is, uh, this is an actual event. This is what I saw. This is what, this is what we observed, particularly because... At the center of the Christian message in the book of Acts, when we get to the book of Acts, starting next week, the place we're going to see 
the central thing and theme throughout the book of Acts in all of the announcements about Jesus wasn't even the cross. It was primarily the resurrection from the dead. Yes, the cross is significant and important, right? It certainly has a role to play, and it's part of the the message that Jesus died for our sins. Not the cross itself, but Jesus' sacrifice. It happened to be on a cross. But in some some ways, we elevate those icons way above what they ought to be elevated to. And again, sometimes that's the, the result and influence of tradition, okay? But in the early church, as we read through the book of Acts, what we're going to see is that the central message of the Christian church to the unbelieving world was Jesus is alive from the dead. Okay? And this message of resurrection applies not only to him and his resurrection, but then therefore to everyone who trusts him because he promises to raise us from the dead. This becomes the the, uh, linchpin on which the believing church is willing to lay down their lives. Why would I lay down my life as a sacrifice, clinging to this message, clinging to, to this truth, if I didn't believe it to be true, that he raised the dead? How could I lay down my rights to myself? How could I offer my body up as a martyr? How could I lay my life down for my, for my spouse, for my children, not getting the things I think I want because I'm sacrificing for them if I don't believe Jesus raises the dead? But if I do believe he raises the dead, then that changes everything from that point on in the way that I handle even everyday decisions about how, how I'm going to live my life. Um, the early church was persecuted mightily, heavily, and uh, many people were executed for saying that Jesus was risen from the dead. So, um, again, this is one of the reasons, several of the reasons, rather, why this is a central facet of the Christian message. We ought to do as much good as we can and see God's kingdom working through our hands and our feet as we live our lives every day, moment by moment, guys. But the way that, the, 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 the thing that carries me through life, willing to sacrifice what I have, is the fact that Jesus is going to raise me from the dead, and he sees and he rewards. Because then I can give everything away. Then I'm, I'm, I don't have to hold, I don't have to cling to things, I don't have to, to, to hold on to everything, because I know that this is true. Um... So the text continues here, uh, though, as he's describing these events. The other disciple, verse 8, says, Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they didn't know the scripture or the writings that he must rise again from the dead. Jesus had told them on a number of occasions, at least three, probably more, that he would be executed, that he would rise from the dead. They didn't understand at this point the, uh, the prophecies in the Old Testament that were related to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It's funny, though, because when we get to the book of Acts, what we're going to see is that most of the early sermons are them quoting the Old Testament and explaining why the Old Testament says Jesus had to rise from the dead. So they didn't yet know, but when they received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit um, um, gives life to their mind and their understanding in a way that causes them to see, even in the text, that these Jews probably grew up hearing things about the Messiah that maybe they they hadn't understood before. They, they couldn't see uh, because they w- hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet in that very particular way that Jesus promises and then fulfills early in the book of Acts. For as yet, they didn't know the scripture or the writings. That's what scripture is. It's a kind of a weird word. It just 
the, it's just a Greek word for writings, the writings. But because it has the definite article in front of it, we recognize that they're talking about a particular thing, not any writings, particular writings, <laughs> the scriptures. And it's the way they referred to in the New Testament. It's the way the authors referred to the Hebrew Old Testament. They called it the scriptures, okay, the writings, with that, uh, that definite article there. Um, as yet they didn't know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Um, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Uh, keep in mind that the um, that Peter and John had just went into the tomb. They just saw that his body's not there anymore. They saw the things that he had been wrapped in just laying there. You know, and uh, it says that they believed at that point, but they hadn't seen him. They just saw the stuff there, right? kind of uh, what you and I might think of as circumstantial evidence, right? <laughs> um, they knew where he had been buried. They went in. He was no longer there. His body was no longer there. Um, the um, clothes and stuff were there. The stuff he had been wrapped in, the cloths, rather, that he had been wrapped in, were laying there. As yet, they didn't know the scripture, as we read, that he must rise from the dead. So they left. They went to their own homes. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? I love that Mary's not bothered by this. <laughs> she, it doesn't seem to be. Maybe she was. I don't know. But the text doesn't seem to indicate that she was. She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Uh, there's this interesting part of the New Testament uh, in the book of Hebrews where the author tells us not to forget to entertain strangers. The word for loving strangers is hospitality. Um, don't forget to entertain strangers because in so doing, some have unwittingly or without their knowledge actually um, entertained or provided for angelic beings. It's a very strange and interesting thing that the author to the Hebrews says. Don't forget to entertain strangers, because in so doing, some have unwittingly entertained uh, angels. Now, uh, angels sometimes, when they appear, terrify people. Uh, and I wonder if some of what's happening here is that Mary is simply uh, overcome with grief and like n nothing else really matters. She's, she's distraught because Jesus has been executed and now somebody's come and taken his body. That's what she thinks. Somebody's come and taken him away now. Like a, she, she wanted to go to the tomb uh, to finish sort of the process for burial because um, they had rushed things because they were trying to get him in the tomb before Sabbath started, before the Shabbat. Um, so she sees the, these angels and they say, woman, why are you weeping? She says to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Verse 14 says, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. One of the things that I find interesting about um, several of the accounts of Jesus after the resurrection is that some people didn't immediately recognize him to be Jesus. Now, some of them may have been um, possibly because they weren't as familiar with him as other people, but Mary Magdalene was very close. She was a very close disciple of Jesus. <laughs> okay? Referenced numerous times, she had this great affection for Jesus because of what he had done for her. 
Um, but she sees this person. She turns around. She saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, uh, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. I love, I have no idea the size of any of these people, but I love that Mary's like, I'll just take his body. It's fine. I've, uh, you know, not carried a dead body on my own, you know, like that. I don't know what that would be like, but um, you sense, you get the sense in this that none of that matters to her. None of that, she doesn't care about any of the logistics of any of it. She just loves Jesus. And um, and she's overcome with grief. Um, she's supposing him to be the gardener, as we read, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, verse 16, um, Jesus said to her, Mary. As simple as that. She turned and said to him, Rabboni. Which is to say, teacher, I love that John explains that. <laughs> it's a Hebrew word for teacher. <laughs> and John's like, this is what it means. It means teacher. <laughs> this is a common thing they call Jesus. She turned and said to him, Rabboni. Now Jesus says to her, don't cling to me. I can only imagine at this point she's in recognizing who he is, just like, <laughs> she's like, I'm never letting you go again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now she's specifically given this message to bring uh, to the others. Um, but um, that particular statement, I have not yet ascended to my father, is interesting. Um, the author to the Hebrews talks about this idea that the uh, all of the things written in the Mosaic Law, the descriptions of the tabernacle, the way it was designed, and all of the articles of furniture in it, and all of that stuff, he talks about how it had to be cleansed with the blood of animals. And not one thing was prepared or allowed without without blood without bloodshed because without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. He reminds us, which is something the law said, something that uh, Moses had said. Um, but then he goes on to say that all of that stuff is just in relation to the what we see in in the world around us. That was something that was natural, something that was real here. That happened with Moses and with the people of Israel. Even the people themselves had to be, Moses stood over them and sprinkled blood and he threw it out on the, like the crowd of people. I don't know how far it went, but the, the idea was, was very picturesque, right? Right. To, to show that, that they had to have blood. And, and now, now don't misunderstand. I think there's an obvious reason for the issue of blood. People sometimes don't like it, but um, you and I all know that, uh, that um, as the law says, the life is in the blood. So the whole point is the exchange of one life for another. Okay? That's the whole point of the shedding of blood. Um, because uh, when something gives up its blood, it literally gives up its life. And so the, the point of, of the, the shedding of blood, the remission of sins, is, is the exchange of a life for, for another life. Okay? Now, all of the articles of furnishing... 
of furniture and all of the parts of the tabernacle, they all had to be cleansed of so that giant tent. They all had to be cleansed with, with blood, the blood of an animal. But the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. The author to the Hebrews goes on to say that the heavenly things of which all of that stuff is a copy. This blows my mind. All of that stuff, the way that the tabernacle was described, where God said, you need to make it exactly like this. This is the pattern I'm showing you up on the mountain. It needs to be, it needs to look like this, it needs to be this, this wide, this long, it needs to have this piece of furniture here. The author of the Hebrews says that is a copy of the true, which is in the heavens. And that is wild to think about. <laughs> But the blood of animals was used as a, an offering to cleanse those things. Though only as a picture, really, to look forward to a greater sacrifice. But he makes it clear, the author to the Hebrews makes it clear, that the heavenly things, of which all of that stuff was just a copy, had to be cleansed with something better than the blood of bulls and goats. Blood of Jesus. And now Jesus is saying to Mary, hey, don't cling to me. You can't keep holding on to me. I need to go. I need to go to my father. <laughs> I haven't yet ascended to my father. Now, Jesus had promised them that it was good that he go away, which is something they probably didn't want to hear, right? If I was alive at that time in the first century, I'm with Jesus. He's died and ra he's dead and raised, raised from the dead. I'm probably not going to be like, are you sure you got to go? Like, I mean, I'd probably be the same way. Like, really? <laughs> I mean, we've come to know that you're the Messiah. You've promised us eternal life. <laughs> uh, you've provided for us in all of these incredible ways. We've seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle, you know, as he's demonstrating his power and what the kingdom of the heavens is really like when it comes in its fullness. Okay? So, uh, certainly, they didn't want him to go. But Jesus said it was better that he go because he was going to give the Holy Spirit to them who would be with them and in them. And the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth. The Spirit, whom Jesus calls the Spirit of Truth, he's referred to as the Spirit of the Messiah. Okay, this is the promise, which, as we get to the book of Acts again, that we're going to find this, the giving of the Holy Spirit, is the thing that the early church looked at and said, oh, well, obviously, God has accepted non-Jewish people into the church, <laughs> into his body, because he's given them the Holy Spirit the same way that he gave us the Holy Spirit. And there were certain signs and evidences of which uh, God gave them so that they could know that. Um, don't cling to me he says for I have not yet ascended to my father but go to my brethren and say to them I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God interesting thing, it doesn't say anything about telling them about the resurrection doesn't say anything about, about any of that just tell them that I'm going to go and ascend <laughs> it's very interesting <clears throat> Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her wonderful um, part of this reality is, as it's been mentioned, and, and I don't want to pass over it without mentioning it, is that even this message is something that was r radical that it would be uh, given to Mary to bring. Uh, in um, Judaism, certainly first century Judaism, and before that, um, and, and even after that, uh, the truth was that, um, that women could not testify in court. Uh, that they're, uh, they could not be counted as witnesses to something. Remember, Moses had required that if capital punishment were to be exercised, it could only be done at the mouth of two or three witnesses to an event that required capital punishment, which I think is helpful because it sort of limits the, the bounds of using capital punishment. But um, 
anyways, uh, so the Jews in their traditions uh, had over time believed that a woman's word was not admissible for that kind of testimony. Um, there was a an old um, rabbinic saying that said it's better for the words of the law to be burned than that they be delivered to a woman, um, which is real nice, you know. <laughs> it's real, <laughs> really, really nice. Uh, also, keep another thing in mind. This was not foreign to many ancient cultures. P- please don't, don't don't think anybody singling out Judaism or Israel. Um, the the position of women was very low in many ancient cultures. Not every one of them. Keep in mind that there were certainly some ancient cultures that had women as leaders um, in very particular ways. Um, So this was not an uncommon thing, though, in ancient times. Um, It is shocking then, because of that reality, that Jesus gives this message to Mary and says, hey, go tell the disciples. She was one of the disciples, right? When we think of the disciples, sometimes we're like, oh, well, it's just the 12. No, bro. There was a much larger group of people. The 12 became known as apostles because of the the authority given to them after this but uh, and, and their selection early on as the 12. But there were many other disciples of which a number of them were women who frequently served and provided for and helped manage. Can you imagine what traveling through Israel would have been like without the ladies helping with everything? That would been terrible, right? <laughs> uh, just, just taking care of, of so much, right? So, uh, and, uh, and, and using their lives in a way that was so incredibly valuable to Jesus and Jesus honoring them for that. And Jesus honored Mary here. Uh, in this particular way, as Mary receives this message to deliver to the other disciples. So she came and told the disciples that she'd seen the Lord, that he'd spoken these things to her. And, and uh, of course, they don't believe her at first. But anyways, <laughs> then verse 19, the same day at evening, um, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, now stop right there for a second. I don't want you to gloss over that because I did for years. When the doors were shut where the disciples were ascended for fear of the Jews, they were afraid because of what had just happened to Jesus. He's in the tomb now, at least that's what they had previously known. Um, They're still afraid, though. Um, Jesus comes and stands in the middle of them, just boom. Some of the the after resurrection appearances of Jesus are incredible in that particular way. Doors were shut, and now Jesus comes and stands in the middle of them. And we could we could run around that in the language and say, well, it just doesn't say that he came in through the door, and that's fine. Maybe that's the case, but that doesn't really explain what happened on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus sits down with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they don't recognize him as he's traveling with them to, to where their campsite is. They don't recognize him. He goes, he explains to them all the things about the Messiah in, in the law in the Old Testament, which would have been an amazing study. Um, he, he explains to them all of these things. And then when they sit down, he takes the bread, he breaks it. They recognize him. Oh, it's the Lord. And then he disappears. He just vanishes. <laughs> right? So it doesn't really explain that. Uh, particular uh, event. Um, It seems to me that Jesus was able to appear where he wanted to or disappear when he wanted to after the resurrection. Um, But I think it's vital for us to remember that he did things like eat, 
people were able to touch him. He was not an apparition. He was not just a spirit. This was not a hallucination, uh, as has been claimed by some critics uh, over the years. Um, they were gathered for fear of the Jews in a behind closed doors. So then Jesus came and he just stood right in the middle, right in the midst, and said to them, Peace be with you. Of course he said that. <laughs> hey, peace to you guys. <laughs> if Jesus just suddenly appeared right in the middle of us, I probably would need him to say, Hey, settle down. <laughs> peace <laughs> as well. So he did. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. I love this. Simple as that. Peace to you. He'd already told them, my peace I give to you, not like the world gives. My peace I give to you. Now the first two things he's saying to the group as they're gathered when he shows up, he says, peace to you guys. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is so incredibly picturesque when you remember that it was um, the breath of life breathed into man in the beginning by God. And now Jesus breathes on them. Remember, Jesus was the instrument of creation, if we could say it that way. Nothing was made without him that was made. Now Jesus breathes on his disciples and he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And much has been written and said about that, about the, those couple of lines there. In one very far sense, some have said this is a relegation to the church to decide what is or is not sin or sinful. Uh, that's a scary place to me. Uh, some have even then limited limited even further and said that this applied very directly to Peter because of the other uh, passages in like Matthew and the context of those passages. Um, but um, regardless, uh, um, <laughs> I think it really, really is, is a lot simpler than that. But what it seems to me they had was this ability to carry the message, the message of forgiveness. The message of Jesus' death for sins, his burial and resurrection from the dead. And this allowed them to be able to say to somebody, if you've trusted him, your sins are forgiven. Jesus died. And he took away, he took away your sins. He was made sin for us, as Paul would write later. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I don't think it's really saying more than that, personally. Um, and if you disagree with me, that's fine. You can be wrong if you want, but... <laughs> I hope you guys know I'm stupid when I say that. I'm just kidding. Um, most people that disagree with me are probably right. But um, I, I can only know what I know. So. <clears throat> right. um, this is the place where, I think in a very direct sense, where we get the idea of an apostle from. To be an apostle, you had to be specifically sent out by someone. And that is what Jesus does here. He commissions them as apostles. Um, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, Father sent him into the world to suffer and die <laughs> for sins. <laughs> he said, Jesus had, art, had taught them previously, as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. This is the new commandment I give to you. Remember, Moses had said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus even reaffirmed that by saying um, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the, and the prophets. Then Jesus goes beyond that, though, 
beyond loving your neighbor as yourself when he says, the way I've loved you, that's how you should be loving each other. That's the new commandment that Jesus gives. Much has been said about loving your neighbor as yourself, and that's fine. But there's a new commandment that's even greater than that. Which, by the way, sometimes we really struggle with loving our neighbor as yourself among among other things. Frequently we struggle with that. Maybe I ought to say frequently we struggle with it. Um, <clears throat> won't you be my neighbor? How subversive was he? Was that man? Because that's exactly the heart of loving your neighbor as yourself. To say to anybody, won't, won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> Powerful man, <laughs> amazing, amazing. He saw he saw the, the the right thing, right? Not just oh, whoever is my neighbor is you know person living next to me or whatever you know, but uh, anybody. Won't you be my neighbor? It had to do with the way that we treated each other, whether or not we were being neighbors to them. Amazing. Anyways, uh, just something I was thinking about recently. <laughs> Um, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So here's the question. Does that only apply to them? Remember, as we're going through this, it's important that we, we read in its context. And as we discover the message and what was said to the people to whom the, these things were written, we then need to take from that and say, how then does it apply to us? Where does it apply and where doesn't it apply? Take, for instance, something like Second Chronicles 7.14, which has often been quoted. Uh, it's Solomon, part of Solomon's prayer. And he said, when these people who are called by your name humble themselves and turn from their sin and, and repent, uh, you, you know, heal their land and do all of that stuff and, and all of that. And that's fine and dandy, but do we take that and we say, well, this applies to the United States of America? What? <laughs> that had nothing to do with what Solomon had to say. Israel was a very peculiar and particular people of God, the people called by his name, <laughs> right? America is not the people called by the name of God, okay? As much as, for some reason, we want to wrap things into this weird, false Christian nationalism narrative um, and, and, and really sort of revise the reality of what happened, even at the founding of our nation and other things since then, um, it just, it, it's again, pulling texts out of their context and then trying to make them say something that they probably aren't saying in a very particular sense. Now, that being said, is it possible that if Christians in any country, in any place, <laughs> humble themselves and turn from their sin, is it possible that the Lord would, would do some great work in that nation, in that place? Maybe so. <laughs> but also keep in mind the reality of historical contexts and of God dealing with nations and people groups in ways that you and I don't always understand he's sovereign and he's over stuff in ways that I can't wrap my head around sometimes and that's hard for me because I really want to understand everything <laughs> I, wa I just want to keep learning and learning and learning as much as I can it helps me make sense of the world. It helps me make sense of things, but I also understand that I'm limited because I'm just a creature. I'm just a creature. So then how do we look at this text? Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I think that this is one that certainly, as we get into the book of Acts, we'll find becomes uh, the reality for all of those who believe. 
they have the responsibility of loving each other and, and taking care of each other and of also sharing this great news of Jesus' resurrection from the dead with others, of laying their lives down. Remember, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Lay your lives down for others. <laughs> Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. The person who loses his life for my sake will find it. The person who seeks to save his life will lose it. All of those, all of those realities of what the kingdom of the heavens looks like. In this world, you will have tribulation. <laughs> but cheer up, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. <laughs> it doesn't matter unless he's living in you. Then it changes things. Because it means he's able to overcome the trouble that we face even in us as well. Now, verse 24. Now, Thomas called the twin. Thomas Didymus called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. I love Thomas so, so, so much. He, he reminds me of me. I, I am him sometimes. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Because he wasn't there. He wasn't gathered with them when Jesus shows up, right? The first night. He wasn't there. That was Sunday, the day of the resurrection. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, can you imagine? These guys have lived together for three years. They have been, they have been following Jesus all together. Like, does he not trust them? Like, what? What is going on here? But he, he seems very skeptical. And there's, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with real skepticism, with really wanting to know. But the, the difference, though, is that sometimes people call themselves skeptics when they're not really skeptics. They're cynics. And that's a very different thing. Right? When they're, just, they're not really wanting to understand, they're just saying, let's ask a bunch of questions. I don't really care about what the answers might be or any explanation. I just want to throw a bunch of questions out there because I don't really want to think about it or consider that something might be true. That's a different place. Thomas, it seems, was like, um, this is very hard to believe. So unless I, unless I can do this, unless we have some evidence here, I, I don't know that I can believe this, which uh, I don't find to be a real problem at all. And I think that we ought to be willing to look for evidence. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, I put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Remember, it says into his side. Remember the spear that went into the side of Jesus um, after he was dead. So he has this wound in his, in his side and um, the print of the nails um, as well. He says, I, I won't believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came. And again, it's very peculiar the way the text is written. John makes a point of saying the doors were shut and Jesus just shows up. Again, the doors being shut. <laughs> he's like, this is not like a normal thing. Okay. The doors being shut. Jesus came and he stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Cause you know, he better. <laughs> also, keep keep this in mind. The first appearance happened to them happened on Sunday, the day of the resurrection. Now we're eight days later. Like they're living their lives. Eight days post resurrection. They see Jesus, at least the record shows the one time. Okay? What what do they do? We're gonna find out one of the things they do in the next chapter real quickly here. <laughs> uh one of the things they end up doing. Jesus came, the doors being sh shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, verse 27, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. A couple of things. 
Jesus knew exactly what Thomas was thinking and what Thomas had said to them. Jesus knew. And when he shows up, he says, Thomas, this is what you need. Here I am. Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. You can't do that to spirits. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. That was his response. It was one of, of trust, one of confidence in Jesus. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And certainly this is something that John is reminding us of Jesus saying here. As John's writing this message, knowing that many of the people that would be reading this are people who wouldn't be able to, to do what Thomas did. We believe lots of things just because somebody told us they're true. But for some reason, when it comes to like the scriptures or to, to the Bible, people have a very hard time with that, with saying, oh, well, these records are just, these are just things that people wrote down, <laughs> whatever, you know. Like, well, okay, you, you believe all sorts of nonsense you read on the internet, gang. Like, real nonsense. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs, verse 30, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now this last chapter uh, has some um, criticism leveled against it. Some um, suggest it's a later edition uh, among other things, or that parts of it might be, um, but uh, I don't. I think it's don't think it's relevant. Anyways, we can certainly talk about it more if you want to talk about those things more. Other uh, things that I've wanted to read much about. Um, after these things, Jesus showed himself again. Verse. Um, Chapter 21, verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. Remember, this is like, these are some of the first things they're doing after Jesus has risen from the dead. They've been afraid because they were afraid that they would be, you know, something would happen to them because of what happened to Jesus and their association to him. They've been hiding behind closed doors. They say repeatedly, the door's being shut, the door's being shut. Okay? And now they're back in the northern part of Israel, away from Jerusalem. They're back at the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. And now they do what they know how to do. You know what they know how to do? They know how to go fishing because half of them are fishermen. And also, they have to eat. Right? <laughs> so, so they go fishing. It's such a normal, like, sometimes we make, I don't know, sometimes we make being a Christian like, like this weird thing that is separate from actually living in the world. And, and I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we think of it like that, with this really false dichotomy that we make between spiritual things and between real life or everyday life. 
So they went fishing. I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. <laughs> Peter is this natural leader. He just is like, this is what I'm doing. And everybody else is like, well, let's follow Peter. We're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that, and that night, they caught nothing. <laughs> this, is, this wasn't the first time they had fished all night, caught nothing. <laughs> um, so, right, when, when a couple of them were first called, this exact same thing happened. When they first were called to become Jesus' disciples, the very same thing happened. They were out on the boat fishing all night. They caught nothing. Jesus yells at them from the shore, Hey, guys, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And the net is full and breaking after that, you know. They went out immediately, got in the boat. That night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? So they see this guy standing on the shore. And he calls out to them on the Sea of Galilee, Hey, children, do you have any food? They answered him, No, because they they hadn't caught anything. Um, Sad fishermen. (laughs) He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. The same as it had, had happened at the very beginning of their of uh, the calling of some of them. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. <laughs> John knows. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's, it's the Lord. <laughs> We've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. <laughs> and now he said to throw the net on the, on the right side and, and it's now full of fish. It's the Lord. John knows. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it and plunged into the sea. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know how often he's been swimming, but like, <laughs> he's like, let me put my jacket on and go swimming. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, don't misunderstand. He probably had stripped down. It's hot work and, and stuff out on the boat and everything. And so he's like, I don't want to leave my jacket in the boat. <laughs> so he takes his coat and throws it on and jumps in the water. Um, and swims to to shore. He plunged into the sea, but the other disciples came in the, in the little boat, for they were not far from land, uh, but about 200 cubits. That's about a football field away. It's about 300 feet, a cubit being about 18 inches. It's about 300 feet away. So think of uh, uh, of a football field, just just from like the the goal line to the goal line. Actually, it's about 300 300 um, feet there. So um, they weren't far from land, but Peter's like, I'm going. He jumps in the water and he goes. Everybody else is uh, in the boat there, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with, with fish. Then as soon as he had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. And listen to this. What does the next line say? They saw a fire of coals and what now when they got to shore? What did they see there? Jesus didn't need their fish. <laughs> Homie had fish at the already cooking. He didn't. He didn't need it. It just, if, if nothing else, I, I want you to, can we read these stories with faith? Can we read them in a way that says, man, Jesus is way more prepared than I am. And I don't have to be, I don't have to be frustrated and, and, and handle things sometimes the way that I do with so much uncertainty because he is certain. Um. He saw the fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. We got some more food now. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153 
fish, and although there were so many, like they they sat there and counted them. I mean, this was their trade for half of them, so without doubt, this was probably a common practice. It's how they probably sold them, things like that. They would certainly eat some, but then they also uh, could sell some for the for their sustenance and everything. So, although there were so many, the net was not broken. Another reality. Tons, but the net wasn't broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? <laughs> Nobody's like, now who are you? Which might tell us something, the, the issue with Mary at the tomb, the issue with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the issue right here, might tell us that after the resurrection, even though his body still had like the print of the nails in it and the scars and stuff like that, that maybe it was changed in some way that made him not immediately recognizable. I don't know if it meant that like his beard was cut differently or like maybe he had a different hairdo or something, you know, maybe he was rocking the, the Bob Ross or something after the resurrection. I don't know. But, um, but, but something, something it seems caused them to be um, not immediately recognizing him uh, at times. So anyways, uh, knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This was just the third time. But like they have to live their lives every day. Okay? And I think even in this, Jesus is preparing them for what it's going to be like later when they receive the Holy Spirit. They're not just going to be like camping out following the actual body of Jesus, the, the physical person of Jesus, because he's going to be gone. So uh, verse 15 says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Well, so this word here for love is the, the root of the root word of this love is the word uh, agape, agape, agapao later, a word used by Christians to define God's love for us. One that Paul really laid out a very strong definition for in first Corinthians chapter 13. If you're familiar with that passage, um, it, it was a, it was a Greek word, but it was not a commonly used Greek word. It became more commonly used by Christians. And they laid with it a particular definition of it, uh, this kind of self-sacrificial love uh, demonstrated uh, by Jesus. So Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, this is a different word for love. The Greek word used here is the word, the root word of like the city of Philadelphia. It's phileo, phileo. Um, and, and sometimes we really conflate the differences and the usages of some of these words in ways that I think we don't need to. Um, uh, there are times um, where phileo is used as a very normal, common type of word for caring for somebody or loving them, and that really is what it's about. It's about caring for someone, and sometimes we limit it by saying, well, this is brotherly love, and that means like it's just like reciprocal type of love is some of the teaching I've heard before. I don't know that that's really, really what's implied here. Um, n not that it's um, like, well, it has to be reciprocal type of love. Like you love me and I love you sort of thing. Like you care about me and I care about you. I don't know that it's really limited like that. Certainly there have been brothers where one loved <laughs> one loved and the other didn't <laughs> love, love him back. Um, but it is the word that, that is the root word of Philadelphia, like the city of brotherly love. Um, it's phileo. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But I, here's the point. 
I want you to understand that Peter's responses are to use a different Greek word for love than Jesus's. And I think that's what becomes apropos here. Um, he said to him, feed my lambs. There's no rebuke for Peter's response. There's no correction. Jesus doesn't say, well, you should, you should agape me or whatever, agapao me. You know, he doesn't, none of that. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And that's the same word, agapao, the root word agape. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But you see Peter's responses? He's like, yes, Lord, yes, you know that I have affection for you. He's using the, the, a different Greek word here. Uh, at least that's recorded for us um, here is this word um, phileo. You know that I have affection for you. You know that I care about you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now this time, Jesus changes the word that he uses. Um, now now I, I need to step back from the text one more time to help you understand something. This is a record of events written in the Greek language. These people were probably not speaking the Greek language. These were Jewish people <laughs> who spoke Aramaic most likely as the primary language, which is, which is a, a kind of like Hebrew, but, but it was a little different. And um, possibly they knew some Hebrew, okay? Probably they knew some Hebrew. Not everybody was, was well-trained. Um, okay, in fact, that's something that later is a criticism leveled against the, the apostles later on by the sort of religious elite. That's something they said about Jesus. How does this man say the things that he's saying? He's an, he doesn't even learn letters. You know. um, but um, So what we have here is a record written in a different language about a conversation that probably was in a different language, Okay. But the reason why I bring that up is because I want to remind you that as we're reading this, that um, sometimes we, we, we forget that reality. So when we're looking at this and we realize John's the one, because he's writing this, is the one choosing what word he's using to help us understand the context of that conversation. He's like, Jesus was kind of like this. He's using agapao. Peter's response was more like, you know I care about you. <laughs> you know. And this last time, this last time, um, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now the word that John uses, that he records for us, that Jesus says, is the word phileo. It's the same word that, that, um, that uh, John uses to portray how Peter was responding to Jesus in the beginning parts. Now, some have taken this and made it mean all sorts of weird things. I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> They've been like, oh, well, you know, uh, Jesus, you know, goes down to the lower level and meets Peter where he is. Like, I don't, I don't know, guys. That seems weird. I don't think it has anything to do with that. In fact, listen to Peter's response. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. It was almost, and, and I don't know, it's like Jesus is holding this, like maybe maybe we could say a higher standard. And Peter's like, I can do this, you know. <laughs> and then when Jesus says the other thing that Peter can do, it's almost like Peter's, it's almost like disappointing. Like, I want you to hold me to that higher standard thing. You know, Peter's, it says he's grieved when Jesus says to him the third time, do you love me? Because he's using that other word in, in uh, that's the way John records it for us. Because John's trying to help us understand the, this conversation. You guys that, 
that have learned or know different languages, you know what that's like when you're trying to explain something, a conversation from one language into another language, and you've got to kind of select the lang- the word in the other language that kind of can mean what what's intended by the word in the, this original language. Uh, you you get that uh, what that translation work is like when you're doing it, and uh, so that's what's happening. Uh, here, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, "Do you love me?" And he said to him, "Lord, you know everything." <laughs> and I just think it's cool that maybe if we could just sit with that, I think that's a good thing for you to, for me, to be able to say, "Lord, you you know everything. You know all things. You know that I love you." And he uses that same word, the phileo word, um, there. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Um, Before we read the last couple of lines there, I just want to mention that I think it's, as it's been pointed out by others, uh, wonderful that as Peter denied Jesus, denied even knowing him, swore that he didn't even know the man three times, that now, after the resurrection, Jesus specifically goes to Peter and he says, Pete, do you love me? And he he does this thing and he, he brings him, sort of brings him back, you know. I think it's really tender and wonderful and a reminder of the character of our Father as we see in the person of Jesus. Um, Jesus said, feed my sheep. So, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Um, Peter has something he's supposed to do. <laughs> Peter was called the apostle to the to the circumcised. He was the apostle to the Jews. Okay, As Paul would become known the, as the apostle to the uncircumcised. Peter was the apostle to the circumcised. And it was only after Peter's recognition that, and it was through Peter, that, un, that, uh, that non-Jewish people become embraced by the Jewish church. The church is itself at first Jewish, and it's through Peter that Samaritans are first recognized as part of that church and brought in. And then it's through Peter also that non-Jewish people, that Gentiles entirely, are recognized and brought into, embraced by the church and made one in this new body that God, is, that, that, uh, God had intended to make and that he was making called the church. Um, that was breaking down all of the, uh, the socioeconomic barriers, breaking down all the racial barriers, breaking down all of the ethnic barriers and em- embracing in one body, one people as God's, as God's people. In, in Jesus. It was through Peter that those things were first accomplished and recognized. Most assuredly, verse 18 says, I say to you, um, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me, which is the same thing he started with. <laughs> when he first called them, he said, follow me. This is the life of a Christian. It is just following Jesus. That's all it is. Hearing what he says, doing our best doing our best to obey, recognizing that we do so with his power and, and even in, in the gentleness and, and the, even in the mistakes like the disciples made, we fail, we mess up. He's able to restore and to forgive. He's able to correct, and he's promised to do all of those things. He's able to refine us and to change us, and he's promised to do that. But at the very heart of being a Christian is really this one issue. It's following Jesus, being a disciple to him. 
learning from him, taking his yoke on us, which is a joy because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Often I carry burdens that aren't light. <laughs> um, so this last little bit here about Peter, um, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, you clothed yourself, and you walked where you wished. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. John adds that parenthetical footnote there about Peter's death. Uh, church traditions, please make sure that I'm clear on that. The tradition in the church has been that Peter was crucified, but he didn't want to be crucified the way that Jesus was, so he was crucified upside down, is the tradition that's passed on through the church. We don't have any definitive records that, that actually demonstrate um, that, uh, that that happened. There is a reference in, I believe, the writings of Origen in the 3rd century, one of the early church fathers that reference um, Peter being crucified. Um, but either way, John seems to indicate this possibly, don't know, but he does mention this idea of, of sort of his arms being stretched out, that sort of thing. But um, I just want to make sure that we're not um, under some illusion that that we know everything, <laughs> okay? Because sometimes we get weird about some of this stuff. And we're like, we know a lot more than we do. Like, there are some things that, that just aren't, that we just don't know absolutely, okay? That we don't know with as much confidence as we know other things. Let me say it that way. And uh, And this is one of those things. That this is a tradition that has been received through the church, and so it's been told for year and year and year and year and year and year after year after year after year after year. Um, but um, ancient records of this are scant, if really probably non-existent. <laughs> I did mention to you that uh, that Origen in Alexandria, um, Origen uh, did have some note related to Peter being crucified um, in his writings. But um, regardless, John tells us that this statement of Jesus was signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. When he'd spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Because when Peter died, how he died really didn't matter. All that mattered was that Peter followed him day by day, moment by moment. And that's true for you too. It doesn't matter all the stuff that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, none of that matters right now. What matters right now is whether or not you choose to follow Jesus today. And for some of us, we're not going to have a 10 years from now. We're not going to have a 20 years from now. You know, sometimes we get lost or caught up in those plans or those thoughts, but for some of us, they won't exist. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Now, Peter had just been told how he would, would die what's going to happen to Peter. And so Peter, being the nosy man that he is, <laughs> is like, what about this guy? What about him? You know, talking about John. It, and, and even in John's record here, it's, there's almost like this sibling type of rivalry where John is like, Peter and I both ran to the tomb. I got there first. Peter went in first, but I got there first. <laughs> you know? and, and then this, this sort of exchange here. Um, um, this exchange here as well is is uh, kind of similar to that. Who also leaned on his breast at the supper. That was John who was writing this. And, and he said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? It was John who had asked that. 
Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And I just think this is probably the best advice any Christian can give to like anybody trying to wrestle with like, um, what God's doing in somebody else's life as a Christian, whatever, just like chill. Like you follow Jesus, just relax, man. Like you don't have to figure out what God's doing in somebody else's life. You follow Jesus. Because what happens is we end up getting ourselves in a lot of trouble and we get caught up in gossip and we get caught up in, in slander and in talking bad about people because we're trying to figure out somebody else's business and we shouldn't be in that business anyways, right? We shouldn't, you've got enough trouble in your own heart that you need to be dealing with. Don't try and figure out somebody else's stuff, okay? Don't try and, you don't need to do that. God will deal with them, which is one of the things I love about Paul's writing because later on Paul's like about these questionable issues that aren't real clear things he's like god is able to make them to stand they're servants of his he is going to refine he is going to correct he's able to do that that person may not be listening to the right music according to you they may not be watching the right shows according to you but god is able to deal with them (laughs) right so you decide to walk in love and not to cause others to stumble. That's sort of where he takes that conversation. Decide to walk in love toward them. Um, so Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then the saying went out among, here, here's the Christian gossip chain already starting right here. Then the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus didn't say that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Do you get the if? Jesus is like, if this is what I want, what does that matter to you? Right? If this is what I do with John, who, what does that have to do with you, Peter? Right? And now, and now people are taking that, they're like, Jesus is going to come back before John dies. That was the, the, the way that they took it was Jesus saying that as if it were a definitive statement. Which is another reminder to be careful with the way that we read our Bibles and to try to do our best to keep things in the context in which they're written. Because sometimes people take stuff and they say, well, Jesus said, when in reality, what he meant was nothing like what they're trying to say it means. (laughs) Oftentimes, I found it really helpful to just read through the text repeatedly over and over and over again because it clarifies itself so often. This is the disciple, last lines here. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And we know that his testimony is true. Uh, When we get to 1 John, um, before the book of Revelation, we get to 1 John. John's like, listen, the thing that we have seen of eternal life, the things that we've seen and heard that our hands have handled concerning eternal life, John's so amazed and blown away by this reality that they were able to to actually physically touch Jesus. They were able to spend time with him in a very peculiar and wonderful way. And that kind of testimony is really helpful for me because I'm I'm a person that is frequently skeptical of things. And I'm I'm trying to learn to be more skeptical about stuff because there's a lot of wrong stuff that's out there. (laughs) But uh, if you ask certain questions, like, why do you think that? (laughs) And um, a lot of times there's just nonsense or no reason why people think things other than somebody said it. Or or most of the time it's because it's what they already wanted to believe. And when they heard somebody say it, then that their confirmation bias kicked in and they just said, well, obviously this is what it is. 
this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I think the last line, if nothing else, is a reminder to us that this, the records that we have are not comprehensive of every single thing that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus in these three and a half years. John was very clear earlier on as we read. He's saying, these things I've written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, and in believing him you have eternal life. This John identifies, this is why I'm writing. He just lets us know. Like, I'm writing this so that you'll know. Because, as Paul would write later on in, um, in Romans, I'm going to read to you just a little section here in Romans, and we'll be finished. Um, Moses writes about the righteousness which is from the law when he says the man who does those things shall live by them but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring the Messiah down from above or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring the Messiah up from the dead but what does it say the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you see that central issue of of Christianity and of believing him if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be safe with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture the writing says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and how shall they call on him in whom they haven't believed and how shall they believe in him whom they of whom they haven't heard And how shall they hear without a preacher or without an announcer? And how shall they announce or preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Um, So, as I mentioned to you at the beginning of our study today, um, this issue of resurrection, resurrection of the dead, particularly Jesus' resurrection from the dead first, Uh, becomes a central point in all of Christianity. As we get through the book of Acts, we're going to see it over and over and over again as a central theme in the early church. And I don't think that that is without um, merit. Because if the resurrection is false, as Paul said, then we are to be, of all men, most pitied. We're just living a lie. Right? Um, But if the resurrection is true, then it changes everything, not just about what happens to me after I die, but about what I choose to do every day because I have the hope of resurrection. I can give things away. I can sacrifice. I can lay my life down. I can serve my family in obscurity without having to be popular or without having to be, you know, well-known. I don't have to be rich. Because there is a resurrection from the dead and it changes everything if that is true. Um, That's why, among other things, I think it's vital for us to cling to that reality, especially in a world that says, eh, once your particles dissolve, you're nothing. Um, Why do anything then? (laughs) Why does anything matter? (laughs) You know, like, Meaning is just what we give to everything. 
which is nothing because when you're dead and gone, your meaning won't matter anyways. <laughs> All that will matter is the people that are alive at that point after you, and none of what you've done will matter. Anyways, um, I can see how those philosophies frequently lead to nihilism, uh, to just not caring about anything, to hopelessness, to despair. But our lives are more valuable than that, and we were made in the image of God, not just us, all of humanity. And we have this great privilege of loving each other and sharing with each other and of serving each other and of knowing that life is more than just about the particles that make up my body. And I'm really glad for that. Guys, Jesus is alive from the dead. That's great news. <laughs> it changes everything. The question is, will I believe it? <laughs> so Father, help us to trust you. because I frequently hear other voices telling me to do other things besides believe what you've said. Um, but there's no way that they are more right. <laughs> They're just people groping for truth and trying to explain the world as they see it. Father, I, I pray that you'd help us to believe the testimony that's been delivered to us. help us to believe the scriptures, the writings. That in doing so, we'd hear your voice. And I pray that you would change us. Because you have given us your spirit. And we'll see much more of that in the coming weeks here as we get into the book of Acts. All that that means. So I pray that you'd be honored with us. And I ask that you would be glorified and that you'd help us to lay our lives down. <laughs> because we're going to be raised from the dead. So it's okay to give up what we want. Lord, help, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Guys, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you. And the Lord lift up his smile on you and give you peace, you guys. Love you. You're dismissed. I know it's late. Um, <coughs>